Hello and welcome back to Sinister Sisters. I am your host, Shrimp. And if you usually tune into this episode, you'll know that I'm usually joined by my IRL sister, Kat. She is, there's some like illness going around um, where we live and probably because the snow has melted and all the bugs are, you know, waking up. Um, so she's out this week. She's coughing up along as far as I can understand. So it's just me. You'll have to deal with just me this week. We didn't have an episode last week because I was coughing up along. So um, this is our first episode back and hopefully Kat will be ready and feeling good by um, the time we need to record her episode for the next episode that is out. Um, but yeah, today you are stuck with me. Today's episode, because it is my episode, is going to be a true crime episode. Um, today we are talking about the Golden State Killer. This case is really interesting because it used DNA to bring together a bunch of crimes that had been committed decades prior to finally convict the person that had committed them. Before we get into it, make sure you follow us on Instagram at sinistersisters.podcast. You can follow us on TikTok and YouTube at Sinister Sisters Podcast. If you have a case request, you can email that to us at sinistersisterspod at gmail.com or put it in the case request form, which is in the show notes, the YouTube description, the Instagram bio, everywhere that you can think of. It is there. The content warnings for this episode include rape, murder, and unsolved crimes. So please take those into consideration when you are considering how and if and when you will consume this episode. The Golden State Killer, also known as the East Area Rapist in the original Night Stalker, was a serial killer and rapist who terrorized California in the early 1970s and 1980s. The Golden State Killer was responsible for at least 13 murders, 50 rapes, and more than 100 burglaries throughout California. Despite a massive investigation and several close calls, the killer remained elusive for decades. However, in 2018, law enforcement officials used DNA evidence to identify a suspect, Joseph James D'Angelo, a former police officer, as the Golden State Killer. Joseph James D'Angelo was born on November 8, 1945, in Bath, New York, to Kathleen James DeGrout and Joseph James D'Angelo Sr., who was a sergeant in the United States Army. He had two sisters, Connie and Rebecca, and a younger brother, John. Between 1959 and 1960, D'Angelo attended Mills Junior High School in Rancho Cordova, California. Beginning in 1961, he attended Folsom High School, from which he received a GED certification in 1964. He played on the school's junior varsity basketball team. Prosecutors reported that D'Angelo committed burglaries and tortured and killed animals during his teenage years. Harming small animals, along with bedwetting after age 12 and fire setting, is part of the McDonald Triad, which is also known as the Homicidal Triad. The McDonald Triad was used as an indicator of risk of a child becoming a serial killer, it isn't used anymore as it mostly just pointed to children who had trauma and not kids who were necessarily going to grow up and be serial killers. Angelo joined the Navy in September of 1964 and served for 22 months during the Vietnam War. 
Beginning in August 1968, D'Angelo attended Sierra College in Rockland, California, and graduated with an associate degree in police science with honors. He attended Sacramento State University in 1971, where he earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. D'Angelo later took postgraduate courses and further police training at the College of the Sequoias in Visalia, then completed a 32-week police internship at the police department in Roseville. From May 1973 to August 1976, D'Angelo was a burglary unit officer in Exeter in California, and then moved to Auburn until 1979, where he was arrested for shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent, and was sentenced to six months of probation and was fired that October. During the process of being fired, D'Angelo threatened to kill the chief of police and allegedly stalked the chief's house. In November of 1973, he married Sharon Marie Huddle of Citrus Heights. The wedding was held at Auburn First Congregational Church. In 1980, they purchased a house in Citrus Heights where he was eventually arrested decades later. Huddle became a divorce attorney in 1982 and they had three daughters, Two were born in Sacramento and one was born in Los Angeles. The couple separated in 1991. In July 2018, several months after D'Angelo's arrest, Huddle filed for divorce, which was finalized the following year. DNA evidence linked D'Angelo to eight murders in California, 50 known rapes and hundreds of burglaries. DNA wasn't really a thing in the 1970s and 80s when D'Angelo was committing his crimes, so they weren't linked right away. So he has a few different aliases. I'm gonna go through each one right now. The Salia Ransacker between 1974 and 1976. It was long suspected that the training ground of the criminal who became the East Area Rapist was Vesalia. Although earlier Vesalia crimes dating back as early as May 1973 and other sprees like that of the Cordova Cat Burglar and the Exeter Ransacker, as well as Vesalia burglary, burglaries are now suspected to be linked as well. Over a period of 20 months, D'Angelo is believed to have been responsible for one murder and around 120 burglaries. The first recorded ransacking occurred on March 19, 1974, when a sum of $50 in coins was stolen from a payback. Most of the ransacker's activities involved breaking into houses, rifling through or vandalizing the owner's possessions, scattering women's underclothes and stealing a range of low-value items while often ignoring banknotes and higher-valued items in plain sight. The ransacker would also often arrange or display items in the house. Items emptied include piggy banks and coin jars, and stolen items often included blue chip stamps, foreign or historic coins, and personal items such as single earrings, cufflinks, rings, or medallions but also included six weapons and various types of ammunition. Multiple same-day ransackings were common as well, including 12 separate incidents on November 30th, 1974. A blue chip stamp was a loyalty program that stores offered in the 1970s. Shoppers would get one from a participating store, and once they had enough, they could redeem them for merchandise like dining tables or tableware, etc. The recession of 1980 caused the program to lose popularity. Common MOs of the burglaries included climbing fences and moving through established routes such as parks, walkways, ditches, and trails, attempting to pry open multiple points of entry, particularly windows, leaving multiple points of escape open, especially windows, as well as the house, garage, and garden doors, 
moving removed window screens onto beds or into bedrooms, placing warning items such as dishes or bottles against the doors and on door handles, wearing gloves, given the absence of fingerprint evidence. On September 11th, 1975, D'Angelo broke into the home of Claude Snelling, who was awoken around 2am by, by strange noises. Upon leaving his bedroom, Snelling ran through the back door and confronted a ski-masked intruder in his carport attempting to kidnap his daughter, who had been subdued with threats of being stabbed or shot. Snelling was then shot twice, staggered back into the house to his wife, and later died. After the shooting, the assailant fled the scene, leaving behind a stolen bicycle. The Visalia police also committed more resources to apprehending the ransacker and a $4,000 reward, equivalent to about 19,000 in 2021, was posted. Nighttime stakeouts were set up near houses that had previously been prowled, but the ransackings continued. So this was his first murder. Around 8.30pm on December 12th, 1975, a masked man entered the backyard of a house at 1505 West Kawia Avenue, near where the ransacker had been reported to frequent. When Detective William McGowan, who was on stakeout inside the garage, attempted to detain the man, the suspect shrieked, removed his mask, and feigned surrender after McGowan fine fired a warning shot. However, after jumping the fence to the house at 15.01, he also pulled out a revolver with his left hand and fired once near McGowan's face, shattering his flashlight. Nearby officers rushed to aid McGowan and the shooter was able to escape. Items collected as evidence included a flashlight, tennis shoe tracks, a dropped and dropped loot, namely blue chip stamps and a sock full of coins. That is where the Vesalia crimes stopped. Because in 1976, D'Angelo moved to the Sacramento area, where his crimes escalated from burglary to rape. His initial MO was to stalk middle-class neighborhoods in, at night in search of women who were alone in one-story homes, usually near a school, creek, trail, or other open space that would provide a quick escape. He was seen a number of times, but always successfully fled. On one occasion, he shot and seriously wounded a young pursuer. Most victims had seen or heard a prowler on their property before the attacks, and many had experienced break-ins. Police believed that the offender would conduct extensive recognizance in a targeted neighborhood, looking into windows and prowling in yards before selecting a home to attack. It was believed that he sometimes entered the homes of future victims to unlock windows, unload guns, and plant ligatures for later use. He frequently telephoned future victims, sometimes for months in advance, to learn their daily routine. Although D'Angelo originally targeted women alone in their homes or with children, he eventually preferred attacking couples. This change in modus operandi is believed to be a direct result of media reports claiming he only attacked women alone in the home. His usual method was to break in through a window or sliding glass door and awaken the sleeping occupants with a flashlight, threatening them with a handgun. Victims were subsequently bound with ligatures, which were often shoelaces, that he found or brought with him, then blindfolded and gagged them with towels that he had ripped into shreds. <clears throat> the female victim was usually forced to tie up her male companion before she was bound. 
The bindings were often so tight that the victim's hands were numb for hours after being untied. He then separated the couple, often stacking dishes on the male's back and threatening to kill everyone in the house if he heard them rattle. He would then move the female to the living room and rape her, often multiple times. D'Angelo sometimes spent hours in the home ransacking closets and drawers, eating food in the kitchen, drinking beer, raping the females again, or making additional threats. Victims sometimes thought he had left the house before he jumped from the darkness. He typically stole items, often personal objects and items of little value, but occasionally cash and firearms. He would then creep away, leaving victims uncertain of whether he had left or not. He was believed to escape on foot through a series of yards and then use a bicycle to go home or to a car, making extensive use of parks, schoolyards, creek beds, and other open spaces that kept him off the street. Police dubbed this string of crimes to be the East Area Rapist. The East Area Rapist operated in Sacramento County from the first attacks in June 1976 until May 1977. After a three-month gap, he struck in, near, in nearby San Joaquin County in September before returning to Sacramento for all but one of the next 10 attacks. The rapist attacked five times during the summer of 1978 in Stanislaus and Yolo counties before disappearing again for three months. Attacks then moved primarily to Contra Costa County in October and lasted until July of 1979. So that is the rapes by the East Area Rapist. Unfortunately, um, he did commit a murder as well. A young Sacramento couple, Brian Maggior, a military policeman at Matha Air Force Base, and his wife Katie were walking their dog in the Rancho Cordova area. On the night of February 2nd, 1978, near where five East Area Rapist attacks had occurred. The couple fled after a confrontation in the street, but were chased down and shot to death. Some investigators suspected that they had been murdered by the East Area Rapist because of their proximity to the other tax locations, and a shoelace was found nearby. FBI announced on June 5th, 2016, that it was confident that the East Area Rapist had murdered the couple. On June 29th, 2020, D'Angelo entered a plea of guilty to these murders. After committing a rape, on July 5th, 1979, D'Angelo moved to Southern California and began killing his victims there, first striking in Santa Barbara County on, in October. The attacks lasted until 1981 with a lone 1986 attack. Only the couple in the first attack survived, alerting neighbors and forcing the intruder to flee. The other victims were murdered by gunshot or bludgeoning. Since D'Angelo was not linked to these crimes for decades, he was known as the Night Stalker in the area before being renamed the original Night Stalker after serial killer Richard Ramirez received the former nickname. Before officially connecting the original Night Stalker to the East Area Rapist in 2001, some law enforcement officials, particularly from the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department, sought to link the Goleta cases as well. Goleta is a town that attacks happened in. The links were primarily due to similarities in modus operandi. One of the already linked original Night Stalker double murders occurred in Ventura, 40 miles southeast of Goleta, and the remaining murders were committed in Orange County, an additional 90 miles, 140 kilometers southeast. 2001, several rapes in Contra Costa County, believed to have been committed by the East Area Rapist, were linked by DNA to the Smith, 
Harrington, Whithun, and Cruz murders. A decade later, DNA evidence indicated that the Domingo Sanchez murders were also committed by the East Area Rapist. June 15th, 2016, the FBI released further information related to the crimes, including new composite sketches and crime details. A $50,000 reward was also announced. The initiative included a national database to support law enforcement's investigating of the crimes and to handle tips and information. Eventually, through the use of genetic genealogy searching on GED Match, investigators identified distant relatives of D'Angelo, including family members directly related to his great-great-great-great-grandfather, dating back to the 1800s. Based on this information, investigators built about 25 different family trees. The tree that eventually linked D'Angelo alone contained approximately a thousand people. Over the course of a few months, investigators used other clues like age, sex, and place residents to rule out suspects populating this, these lands, eliminating suspects one by one until only D'Angelo himself remained. Identification of D'Angelo began in December 2017 when officials led by Detective Paul Holes and FBI lawyer Steve Kramer uploaded the killer's DNA profile from a Ventura County rape kit to the personal genomics website GED Match. The website identified 10 to 20 people who had the same great-great-great-grandparents as the Golden State Killer. A team of five investigators working with genealogist Barbara Ray Venter used this list to construct a large family tree. From this tree, they established two suspects. One was ruled out by a relative's DNA test, leaving D'Angelo as the main suspect. In April of 2018, a DNA sample was surreptitiously collected from the door handle of D'Angelo's car. Another sample was later collected from a tissue found in D'Angelo's curbside garbage can. Both were matched to the samples associated with the Golden State Killer crimes. Since D'Angelo's arrest, some commentators have raised concerns about the ethics of the secondary use of the personal, personally identifiable information. On April 24, 2018, Sacramento County Sheriff's deputies arrested D'Angelo. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. On May 10th, the Santa Barbara County District Attorney's Office charged D'Angelo with four additional counts of first-degree murder. He was 73. D'Angelo made a confession of sorts after his arrest that cryptically referred to an inner personality he named Jerry, who had forced him to commit the wave of crimes that ended abruptly in 1986. Abruptly in 1986. According to the Sacramento County Prosecutor, the Ian Ho, D'Angelo said the following to himself while alone in a police interrogation room after his arrest in April 2018. Quote, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. Push Jerry out and have a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. End quote. D'Angelo could not be charged with the rapes or the burglaries, as the statute of limitations had expired for those offences, but he was charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. D'Angelo was arraigned in Sacramento on August 23, 2018. In November 2018, prosecutors from six involved countries collectively estimated that the case could cost taxpayers $20 million and last 10 years. At an April 10, 2019 court proceeding, prosecutors announced that they would seek the death penalty 
and the judge ruled that cameras could be allowed inside the courtroom during the trial. March 4, 2020, D'Angelo offered to plead guilty if the death penalty were taken off the table, which was not accepted at the time. On June 29, as part of a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty, D'Angelo pleaded guilty to 13 counts of first-degree murder and special circumstances, including murder committed during burglaries and rapes, as well as 13 counts of kidnapping. Overall, it is believed he had 74 victims. On August 21st, 2020, D'Angelo received multiple consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. D'Angelo offered a brief apology after listening to days of pre-sentencing victim impact statements saying, quote, I've listened to all of your statements in each one of them, and I'm truly sorry to everyone I've heard, end quote. D'Angelo committed most of the offenses while he was a married man and raising a family. Neither his wife nor his children ever suspected he was committing serious crimes. His eldest daughter thought he was the perfect father, and his wife believed whatever reasons he spun for being away from home. D'Angelo is currently in protective custody at Corcoran State Prison in California. This case is so interesting to me because of the way that, like, these crimes were happening in the 70s and the 80s, and um, <clears throat> it was was solved in, like, my lifetime which is cool it's cool that they were able to keep the dna for that long and test it for that long and it's also really cool that someone cared enough in the police department to do all of that work after after the fact but also pretty sad that there's a lot of victims who do not get that same dedication by police officers and we still have many, many, many unsolved crimes and missing people that with perhaps a little more dedication could be solved at some point. Anyways, that is the episode this week. If you want to follow us on Instagram, that is sinistersisters.podcast. Um, we're on YouTube and TikTok at sinistersisterspodcast. And you can email us at sinistersisterspod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And make sure you tell Kat that you want her back next week. <laughs> Bye!